If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? This is a kind of hackneyed question from about Philosophy 101, but it's a staple question as well for entering into certain vexed ideas about the objective nature of things, of reality, and then the subjective nature of our experience of that reality. How do they relate to one another? The very notion of a sound, for example, depends on a hearer. Dogs can hear high frequencies that we cannot. In other words, vibrations of air exist objectively. This is something that happens, and we can measure it with instruments like frequency meters. But our ears turn these vibrations and into pitches and timbres that we interpret as sound. And what's more, we tend to attribute to sound, oftentimes, meaning, which I think it's safe to say the vibrations of the air themselves uh, do not do without a human hearer. But to understand meaning, the meaning of the sounds that I hear, for you to understand what I'm saying, requires further interpretation. Not only do you have to hear the sound that's uh, vibrations of air that reach your ear, But you have to be part of a community, a community that speaks English and understands English. In other words, I can hear someone uh, out on the street speaking in Mandarin, but I can't understand the meaning of the words without someone teaching me vocabulary and grammar. And perhaps you've had the experience of trying to communicate with someone who doesn't speak your language. And what I'm able to say to such a person is very limited. So in God spoke his one definitive word to the world when he sent his son to take on human flesh. The meaning of this event was not immediately apparent. It was objectively true. The child Jesus is there. He is the Son of God, but not everybody is aware of this or knows how to interpret it, what to make of it. But God also gives us the interpretive structure. He gives us the language to understand the meaning of this objective thing that happens. This is the divine language of epiphany, or revelation, as it were. So the appearance of the star, the journey of the magi, their gifts of regal gold, sacred frankincense, and grief-laden myrrh, all help us to see and understand what it is that God is saying to us. And indeed, what we discover is that the incarnation is that key that unlocks the entire mystery of God's eternal providence. As St. Paul put it in his second letter to Timothy, God's grace was intended for us before the world began, before any of creation was made. God was thinking about you and me. But only in the appearance of Christ is it manifest. With the appearance of Christ, we finally see what all of this is about. In the Incarnation, God has revealed that all of creation is a kind of tutorial for our eternal destiny. But this meaning was opaque for most of history. And, we regret to say, it remains opaque for many even today. Perhaps even we ourselves frequently are in need of an epiphany in our lives to remind us 
that God's grace was not simply present 2,000 years ago, only to disappear and become a historical curiosity after the ascension. Rather, God is speaking to us today, this very moment, and potentially in every object that we encounter and every person that we encounter. But how do we know what he's saying? Do we speak God's language? Are we able to hear what he is doing in our lives? And as I say, today's feast is a kind of tutorial on reading the signs of God's presence. So I've already indicated in today's gospel, we see that Christ is the king not just of the Jews, but of every nation. Not only that, he's a divine king, and his kingdom transcends this earthly realm, calling us to a heavenly destiny. In the gift of myrrh, we discern that our journey with him to this eternal home requires that we follow a crucified Savior and consent to our own death in the flesh. Traditionally, today's celebration also highlights the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan, where we get the testimony of the Holy Spirit that this man, Jesus, is the Son of God, the Son of the Father, and that water mysteriously initiates us into his mystical body. We further commemorate the wedding at Cana, where, as St. John tells us, Jesus first manifested his glory. But epiphanies actually abound throughout the Gospels, Jesus walking on the water, feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, forgiving sinners, teaching by parables, restoring sight to the blind, and finally rising from the dead. These are all signs to help us to see in our life today the presence of God's grace. Furthermore, the liturgy is a privileged place of teaching of how to read the signs. This is why it's Epiphany Sunday when we announce the dates of the liturgical year. The presence of God's grace is speaking to us now through Christ, is challenging us, reassuring us, and indeed saving us. Will we take the time today and throughout our lives to learn God's divine language through a careful meditation on the epiphany. May it not be said of us that this grace held out to us fell unheard like a tree in a lonely wood.